You're listening to the Regent College Podcast. Welcome to the Regent College Podcast. I'm your host, Claire Perini, and today I'm speaking with Krish Kandaya. Krish is a teacher, an author, and an activist. Uh, he's the founding director of Home for Good, which is a charity that's seeking to make a real difference to the lives of vulnerable children. And in recent months, Krish has been significantly involved in the refugee crisis, campaigning through Home for Good to secure homes for 3,000 refugee children. And this summer, he taught two summer courses here at Regent, uh, one entitled Refugesis. I like what you did there. Mm. That was nice. And Luminous Christianity. Krish, thanks for joining us today. It's great to be here, Claire. Excellent. Um, as we begin, tell us a little bit about your own journey with engaging with the refugee crisis. Sure. So um, I used to be a full-time theologian. I was a teacher at uh, Oxford University and the theology faculty there. And then I was, I was working for the Evangelical Alliance, running kind of programs. And we got involved personally in fostering and adoption. Uh, so we have three birth kids and then uh, three looked after children that are normally part of our household. Some are adopted, some are fostered. Um, and sometimes we get uh, emergency babies to look after, which is amazing. So, fun. so, yeah, really amazing. And I guess the refugee crisis really wasn't on my radar. We were trying to just look after kids that are in the UK. There's a lot of kids in the care system that need adopting. And so refugees was kind of someone else's problem. And then our government said that we were going to receive 20,000 refugees over five years and they were going to focus on unaccompanied refugee children. Mm -hmm. And we thought, oh, that's interesting. Um, if you bring 20,000 refugee children into the UK, unaccompanied means they don't have family with them. Where are you going to put them? Mm -hmm. And I know that if my... If I was separated from my children and they were going to go to another country, I would not want them in an orphanage. I would not want them in an orphanage or an institution. I'd want them in a family if at all possible. And that's when we clicked that foster care was going to be the best place for refugee children to go. And that's agreed, you know, internationally that when children are children, they need families. And so we called the, and originally the, the Christian church to action on this. A lot of people were sending, you know, stuff from their attics down to Calais to help and people sending teddy bears and chocolate bars. And we thought that was good. Um, but if you want to make a significant difference, then our foster care system doesn't have enough carers. Could we find more people to come forward? And uh, so we put up a Facebook post and a little web form and we thought we'd get 150 responses. We had 150 in an hour. Wow. Um, that was Friday night at nine o'clock. And if you know about social media, that's a terrible time to launch a campaign. <laughs> 150 in an hour. By Saturday morning, 1,200 people had signed up. By Sunday morning, 2,500 people. By Monday morning, 8,000 people. My and that was a politically significant number. That got us invited to a round table at the Home Office where um, I'm sat opposite the, the UK head of the United Nations High Commission for Refugees, uh, UNICEF, Save the Children, Red Cross. Cross, and I'm going, guys, we're a brand new startup charity. Yeah, we, you know, we don't just, really know what's going on here. <laughs> we don't belong here, but we're sitting on a whole wealth of people that wanted to make a difference. Absolutely. And that was our activator that we mm -hmm. knew that we had something to, to offer. Mm -hmm. And so you, you've talked, uh, you've written a book called God as Stranger, and that's a, it's a great concept. But talk to us a little bit about that, that idea of God as Stranger. So I'll let you into a secret. The book is a Trojan horse. Okay, I meet so many people that don't care very much about refugees, whether they're Christian or not. Uh, I meet loads of Christians that aren't really that interested in vulnerable children, uh, orphans, widows. That's that's just not part of their discipleship. But a lot of people recognize that they don't understand God and they'd like to know him better. And so this book, God is Stranger, is a book about intimacy with God. 
Mm. Um, it's a book about wrestling with um, all those odd parts of the Bible where God turns up in disguise. He, he He's hidden, you know, whether it's, um, you know, the three visitors that visit Abraham, whether it's the stranger in the night that wrestles with Jacob, uh, you know, whether it's Jesus turning up and the world not mm. really understanding who he is. Um, so God is, is hiding his identity. Why does he do that? What's going on? Um, and what the um, the kind of secret weapon inside the book is, is as people welcome these strangers into their lives that they don't know is God, they come to a new level of intimacy with God. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people feel distant from God. And we would say to them, hospitality towards vulnerable people is a way in which you get to know God in a whole new way. Mm. Um, if you think about Matthew 25, what does Jesus say? You know, mm. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you, you invited me in. Mm. And so there, there, it seems a recurring theme in Scripture is that when we offer welcome to the vulnerable, we meet God at another level completely. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I, I love the Emmaus Road story. Me too, yeah. You've you got these two dejected disciples you know Cleopas and whoever the the other person was and you know this stranger comes alongside them uh, wondering what's going on and they go well uh, where have you been you know Mm. how 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 could you you not know and they don't know they're talking to Jesus it's just just poetry isn't it well well, and it's not until he breaks the bread and there's that kind of communion around the table and all that's going on there that's just yeah they welcomed him in. If they yep. hadn't welcomed him in, would they have had the encounter that they mm-hmm. did have? Mm-hmm. And over and over again in Scripture, that seems to be the place. So God is Stranger is a book written for people that don't care mm-hmm. or don't know they care, mm-hmm. but want to have intimacy with God. Yeah. And so, and you said earlier that you found that the re- this is a Trojan horse and so there's, because people aren't necessarily interested in refugees. Why, why is that? What's going on? Is it, is it just fear? Is it fear of the other? How and yeah, what do you think is going on in terms of our concern? Yeah, I think there's a whole bunch resistance. of things going on. Mm. Um, I think um, some of it is the fear of the stranger, xenophobia. Mm. You know, we teach it to our kids in the UK. We call it stranger danger. We have to warn you about that. Um, are loads of our fairy tales. You know, there right. uh, an old woman comes to the door. Well, don't give her anything because yeah. she, she's she's going to be an evil witch. It's going to cut. Going to make you eat an apple and you're going to fall asleep. Yeah, you know? right. So it's it's always bad news mm-hmm. uh, about the stranger, and and so we've kind of bought into that cultural norm. But the Bible is arguing the stranger is an opportunity. You know, mm. Abraham when he sees these three visitors, he's begging them to come in. He, he sees it as a great delight and an honour to offer them uh, hospitality. So mm. I, I think some of it's that. I think in some Christian circles, there's a fear. Um, that if we get involved in some of these issues, it will somehow distract us from the mission of of evangelism. Right. Um, and therefore, we really need to be clear that you know the church is the place where the word of God is is rightly preached and the sacraments are rightly divided, and and anything else is really just either a distraction or a complete waste of time. And so, there's some theological filters that mean we're not going to get involved in these kind of things. Um, and then some people just don't know where to start mm-hmm. and, and they just feel guilty. And rather than feel guilty, they just think, oh, I'm just going to ignore this. Stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so and so in terms of that, that sort of the second thing that you were saying, the idea that uh, it's not really what the church should get involved in. Maybe, maybe it's not quite as strong as that. But how how have you helped churches sort of wrestle with that? Is this something that we do? How and how is it a gospel issue? And how do we how have you how have you navigated those waters? <laughs> 
well or not so well. It's an ongoing challenge. Mm. I I think with different streams of the church, we've tried different strategies. So uh, some churches uh, are really up talking about justice. And, you know, justice is a kind of in vogue, cool thing to be involved with. Mm. And so we go, that's fantastic, brilliant. let's, let's, Let's up your game. Um, so we say, it's great that you're doing a food bank. That is a great start. It's great that you're doing debt advice for people. It's great that you're, you know, you're running a, a refugee language class. All of that is fantastic. But there's another level. Mm. We need to up it from just being a client service provider relationship where people come and get some help and then go away again. Um, Jesus said, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Where? Where into your home. You know, to, to what level is our our church's justice engagement just programmatic and episodic? And to what level is it actually transforming who we are mm. um, as families and, and individuals? So that's what we say to one group. To another group who are a little bit nervous about justice, uh, we would say, well, let's talk about hospitality. Right. Let's talk about welcome. Let's talk about family. I mean, a lot of our work is trying to find adoptive homes for kids that are in foster care. Um, and it's really hard to argue against scripture when, you know, James one twenty seven, uh, true religion that God our Father accepts as pure and blameless is to care for widows and orphans. So, you know, let's not call it social justice. Let's just call it showing mercy to orphans and widows. Mm. Um, that means that we honour God when we care for the vulnerable, that fostering is not just an option for people who can't earn a living another way adoption is not just for people who can't have birth children it's about us stepping up and being the parents that these vulnerable kids need us to be mm-hmm. and oh by the way we're, we're also fulfilling the kind of worship that god asked his people to give in the first place mm-hmm. so I, I guess those are the three ways we'll do it sometimes we'll talk about justice sometimes we'll talk about family and we'll talk about hospitality but the other way we talk about is let's talk about worship when mm-hmm. you when you study what God is after in terms of worship. James one twenty seven is a great place to look. Isaiah 1, God is very upset with people just offering him sacrifices or gatherings. He said, I've had enough. Stop bringing me meaningless mm. offerings. Mm. Instead, defend the cause of the widow and the orphan. Mm-hmm. You go, oh, okay. You know, that, that's another level of worship that, that means more than just singing songs on a Sunday. So I, th- I think a, a lot of our work at Home for Good, and, and my work as a writer and a speaker, is just calling people to a biblically informed understanding of justice, worship, and hospitality. Mm-hmm, totally. And so talking about that as well, and that whole idea of family, if we sort of go down that route, if we think about the church at the moment is full of perhaps not nuclear families, yeah. and then so how have you... Have you have you had sort of conversations around that, and what does it look like for those who may not be able to have kids and either married or not married? Mm. And what does family look like to them? And how do, what does the adoptive process look like? Have you had those kinds of oh, conversations yeah. all the time? What all what time. wisdom have you got around those kinds of ideas? Well, we're learning as we go, um, but again, I, I, we're trying to take our cues from God. Um, so great, that's a great place to start. Well there done. You go. Yeah, take, take the theological <laughs> high ground here. Yeah, that's right. But, but a missing element, I, I gave a public lecture about this recently, um, a missing element in our gospel is the idea that we've been adopted into God's family. And when God adopted us into his family, it wasn't because he was lonely or needy. You know, God was absolutely fine in himself, thank you. Theologians call it the aseity of God. He, he's completely fulfilled as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. God didn't adopt us because he needed it. God adopted us because we, we needed did. it. Mm. And when it's that way around, you go, oh. Oh, that's interesting. So if in Canada right now there are 30,000 children waiting to be adopted, 
They're all in foster care. It's completely free to adopt them. You don't have to raise any money. You don't have to pay any lawyers. The state will do all that for you. 30,000 children waiting for adoption. In America, 100,000 children are currently mm. waiting for adoption. All in foster care. All completely free to adopt. And so when you hear about that need, you go, oh, wait, wait. Um, God adopted us because we needed it. Maybe we should adopt these kids, not because we're bored or lonely or we fancy some extra kids in our life, but because they need it. Mm-hmm. And here's a way to demonstrate grace and mercy to the most vulnerable. Here's mm-hmm. a way that sh- to welcome the stranger that is Jesus. Here's a way to offer God the kind of worship he wanted in the first place. And we've seen a whole range of people come forward. And we've loads of single people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that it's better that a child has one parent in their life than no ongoing parents in their lives. Um, and sure, it's hard raising a child on your own. But that's why the church is supposed to be more than a nuclear family. It's supposed oh, yeah. to be an extended family where we wrap around each other. We've seen people that have had kids say, you know what, we've got room in our house for more, so they've taken some kids in. We've seen people that are coming uh, because of infertility, but recognizing, you know, everybody wants a baby, and babies are not really easy to adopt because everyone snaps them up very quickly. Mm. And so we've seen people uh, coming with infertility, but willing to take a five year old and a four year old because they're the ones that need parents right now. Mm -hmm. And that's been a game changer. In the UK, the stats are that we need one new family. Uh, per church to start fostering or adopting right that's that's really doable that isn't asking each christian to adopt 10 children Mm. that's just one new family per church to foster or adopt and the rest of the church to wrap around them as foster or adoptive aunties and uncles Mm -hmm. Um, i've seen that in my own church it's absolutely transforming for the child for us as foster parents and adoptive parents but actually for those foster aunties and uncles they make a huge difference in Mm -hmm. these children's lives Mm -hmm. and then yeah so thinking about that whole idea of them a a child or either a child who's a refugee child or or a child that's native to that country um needing adoption then how do you how do you navigate the but um we've got enough needs in our own country why would we why would we want to welcome the you know um, obviously we yeah so how, how do you how do you navigate the how do um we've got enough other issues going on sure. this is just adding to yeah. to other issues um that's a terrible way to say it but do you know what i mean i understand what you mean yeah so i mean our primary aim in my little charity and we're working uh, you know with other charities around the world that are doing the same we're primarily talking about kids that are in our country already um so uh, kids in the care system um but when there's a crisis and there has been a huge crisis, a mm-hmm. huge movement of people, mm-hmm. you know, um, millions of people dislica- uh, displaced uh, from their homes in Syria. Uh, but not just Syria, we're, we're talking about issues in Afghanistan, Eritrea, people on the move. Um, and vulnerable children are on their own in Europe. And, um, you know, Europol and Save the Children tell us that they are being trafficked, either for sexual exploitation uh, or, I mean, the worst story I heard was a whole bunch of kids have been uh, forced into uh, modern day slavery to make fake life jackets for people that are trying to make the journey across the Mediterranean. Oh, so A, they're abusing children by using them as slave labour, but B, the thing they are making is actually making people more vulnerable. So they, they put on these orange jackets that are filled with newspapers and so they drown more quickly. I mean, it's just the worst oh. thing in the world. And the idea that we could just, you know, turn our blind eye and pretend that we're not going to help. And again, our ask to the UK government was not that we take all of the children, but we think, hold on, we're a wealthy continent in Europe um, there is enough capacity between our nations that if we all take our fair share it's it's doable mm. 
Um, and on top of that, in the UK, now that we have actually closed our borders to uh, any refugees coming uh, from Europe, people are making their own way. Mm. Um, and it tends to be older teens are making their own way. So they arrive in the UK. As soon as they're in UK soil, they're at the UK's government's responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so we're not adding to the burden. We're just saying there are responsibility. Mm. We just need to step up and make mm-hmm. sure they get the care that they need. Yeah. And it is it is fascinating that the way that children help us draw, atten- draw our attention to things that we wouldn't have noticed. It's like this refugee crisis, global crisis, going on for a while before a lot of us paid attention. Mm. But there was... Uh, the image there's images of children yeah. that somehow prick our attention in such a way that perhaps we wouldn't have before mm. and is there like I, I just that just fascinates me i just think there's something about there's something about the gift of children mm. that actually cause us yeah. to pay attention to yeah. things that we wouldn't it's like a kid walking along the street and they notice a, a rock on the ground but it's that mm. i feel like with the refugee crisis as well it's seeing it the, the impact that's having on children that's actually caused us to think hang on a second yeah. this yeah. is yeah and and it is interesting, isn't it, uh, that there was that picture of Eileen Curdy uh, washed up on Bodrum Beach that was the, the, I mean, the statistics tell us it was the game changer in the whole European response to refugees. Mm-hmm. Um, although that picture is now faded in a lot of people's memories. Mm-hmm. And since that little boy died, many thousands more have died. Mm. Uh, it was a similar uh, kind of effect that the picture of that eight-year-old girl running away from a napalm attack Mm -hmm. uh, in Vietnam Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, had on the American understanding of the um, Vietnam War. So there is something about children. And and the the frustrating thing for me is even the images of children now are not powerful enough to to move the public imagination anymore. It's Mm. like that's gone. Mm. And so if if we won't even move for children, what's the chance of us moving for adults? Yeah. And the fascinating thing for me is that when God turns up as a stranger and is welcomed he's an adult it's it's not a tiny little you know it, it's it's three visitors three male visitors as far as we can work out it's um you know it, it, it's an adult person and yet people are showing mercy so there, there does seem to be a, a kind of compassion fatigue thing going on mm. that we're becoming more resistant to, to offering help and I think this is where the church really is an opportunity to shine um, the other course I taught this week was called Luminous Christianity um, and you know we have an opportunity to demonstrate the glory and wonder of God's character to a watching world mm-hmm. by how we treat the most vulnerable people mm. and sadly um, often the church is lagging behind the sympathy of the culture mm. um, our, we've been blessed in the UK and, and heard of many stories around the world where that's not the case where the church is taking the lead but it does seem in, in many parts of the world the church is lagging behind the compassion of the rest of the culture. Mm-hmm. And so what if with that in mind if with, if the if the church should be taking the lead and if that's actually part of integral to our, our call and our and the mission of God what, what would be some kind of helpful steps do you think for a local pastor or a local mm. congregation to think yep we, we get it we're we're on board, but where do we, th- those people who are thinking, oh, where do where do we start? What yeah. would you what would be some suggestions? Okay, shameless plug. Mm. Um, so the God is Stranger <laughs> book is designed for a pastor that wants that. So it, it maps a route through 
both familiar and unfamiliar parts of the Bible that will help people to see that caring for the vulnerable is not just a fringe activity for a certain segment of the church, but actually it's integral to our understanding of what it means to be a disciple. Um, and so um, I've just heard recently a number of churches are using uh, the chapters of the book as a teaching series because each one is based on a kind of biblical narrative. Mm-hmm. And that's been quite useful. Um, we we, uh, we were able to be joined by um, the head of World Release Refugee Resettlement Programme uh, for our lecture here. Um, around refugees and and the work that World Relief are doing in America is second to none. It's absolutely fantastic. So there'll be a great uh, organisation to engage with if you're based in North America. Uh, in the UK, the work that we're doing at Home for Good might be a help uh, to help churches engage. Um, our main task is to change the imagination of the church on this subject. And so we're always pushing out new resources, mm. uh, new tools, new videos uh, that will help people just join the dots. Because I think that's the issue. The Bible teaches it. The church is, is hungry to know God's word and, and wants to obey God. So we just need to join the dots. And I think something exciting can happen. Mm-hmm. Chris, it's been so great speaking with you. If there, is there anything else you want to tell us before you go? I've just so enjoyed being at Regent. There's something very nourishing about being in this place, not just because Vancouver is a beautiful place, but there is every time I come here, I come here to teach, but I always come away really blessed by the students that I've met, by the other faculty that are here. And so if it's been a while since some of our listeners have been here for a summer program or a pastor's conference, uh, you know, book your tickets. It's a great place to be. I can recommend it. Great. Thanks so much for your time, Krish. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Regent College Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you'd like to hear more content like this, you can find lectures, conferences, and entire courses at regentaudio.com. And to find out more information on Regent College's degrees and upcoming events, go to regent-college.edu.